Hello and welcome to Not Yet a Doctor, the podcast where we do sometimes stuff that is relevant in the week. Uh, <laughs> my name is Alistair and I have my PhD in analytical chemistry from Queen's University. My name is Alm and I'm about to get my PhD from McGill University in biochemistry. My name is Sienna and one day I will get my PhD in neuroscience from McGill University. And today we are doing a quick uh, This Week in Science episode, the first This Week in Science chemistry episode. So, yay! I found some really interesting research this past week, and it was just published back on Thursday, March 15th, and so I'm hoping we can get this out as soon as possible to that date. Uh, it's a paper titled Half of U.S. Population Exposed to Adverse Lead Levels in Early Childhood, and it's by Michael McFarland, Matt Hauer, and Aaron Rubin. It was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences on March 15th, 2022. And guys, this study is so fascinating. Also very espresso depresso. What is that? espresso depresso? <laughs> also very espresso depresso. Damn, that's, um, a, that's like my you pay that therapist extra for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so before I dive into the actual study and the really interesting findings that they came across, I want to do a little bit of background for our listeners and for you guys about lead, what it is, why we care about it, and stuff. Um, so lead is an inorganic element, and it has many historical uses over the last decade. Um, it's been used notably as an additive to gasoline, but it's also been used in making pipes and paints. Maybe you've heard of leaded paint or uh, Flint, Michigan in, was it 2015, had a big water crisis because of lead contamination of their pipes. Continuing yeah, to, I was going right? to say, had and, it and has. still does. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and so there are uh, many reasons, there are many uses that lead has had, and these historical uses have affected many people, and it usually tends to affect those that are in marginalized communities, mm -hmm. um, such as indigenous communities in Canada, but also racialized communities all over the world. And so um, we really care about this because of the toxic effects of lead. And we've only more recently realized the extent to which lead has really adverse effects. And so I'm going to rattle off some pretty um, concerning toxic effects that lead has. Um, first of all, it crosses the blood-brain barrier, hmm. and it can mimic or mobilize calcium and protein kinase... Protein... <laughs> I can't talk. Protein kinase C. Oof. So it, yeah, it affects the brain. Uh, it... In adults, it can cause developmental neurotoxicity, mm -hmm. reproductive dysfunction, decreased serotonin activity, and is toxic to the endocrine system, the blood, and the kidneys. Mm -hmm. So it affects many different systems and in many different ways. Um, symptoms of lead poisoning can include irritability and aggressive behavior. And the toxic effects of lead are especially concerning in children because exposure to lead in childhood can disrupt brain and bone and cardiovascular development, which can lead to potential deficits in cognitive ability, fine motor skills, and emotional regulation. Mm -hmm. So um, exposure as a child has also been hypothesized to put people at risk for chronic age-related diseases, including cardiovascular disease and dementia. 
And uh, a review that I found on the neurotoxic effects of lead uh, states that the developmental effects of lead occur during a critical time window, generally less than two years of age. So even though lead exposure as an adult can have adverse effects, it's primarily in the first two years of life mm-hmm. that exposure to lead can really set you up for these adverse effects. Um, Out of curiosity, since it crosses the blood-brain barrier, can it also, like, what's the word I want to use? Is like the uterine lining for, like, pregnant women? Is that also an issue there? Like, yeah. are developing babies also a uh, bit concerned there as well? I'd yeah. imagine so. Okay. Yeah, there is also um, a concern that it, it does... Uh, cross the placenta. I don't know if that's the same thing as the blood-brain barrier, but um, it, it does get passed on to um, the developing fetus. And so... Yeah, they share blood, right? So. Yeah. 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 Um, and when we're talking about the toxicity of lead, it's what's called a non-threshold contaminant. So that means that we believe that there is no level at which lead exposure is safe or acceptable. Um, wow. Even the smallest exposure to lead can lead to adverse effects. There may be fewer effects at lower levels, but it still has no threshold at which uh, there's an acceptable level. When did we find this out? Like, it was so popular, like, yesterday. So, like, <laughs> right? When yeah, did like we find out? Pencils. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When, yeah, exactly. When did we find out, or do you know, or maybe it's worth asking, like, do we know when we were like, hey, lead no more. PB, <laughs> gone. <laughs> off the, off the, off the uh, what's it called? The table, periodic table. Off the train, just erase it from the period. Oh, it's canceled. Let us cancel. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was probably around the 70s and 80s that we started to understand that hey, the historic use of lead and gasoline is actually causing a lot of problems, mm-hmm. and we could link it back to lead. But even to this day, we're still um, working on ridding it from our lives and seeing, yeah, and seeing the effects that it has. I mean. Leaded gasoline, although it started to phase out in more of the developed countries uh, fairly early, um, it, I think lead was... Hmm, I forget the date. I think it was like just finished being globally used in 2021. Wow. What? Yeah. Holy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. So, and I mean, lead pipes still exist in lots of places in, in the Montreal, world. In so. Montreal, even. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's a huge mm-hmm. problem. Yeah. And so um, Health Canada has an intervention level of 10 micrograms of lead per deciliter of blood. And so this is a, if you're measuring a population's blood lead level and you see that there's 10 micrograms of lead per deciliter of blood, then um, you might take, Health Canada suggests that you take interventive action. Mm-hmm. Um, although they recognize that there's sufficient evidence that there are adverse effects at 5 micrograms per deciliter deciliter of blood and to put that in perspective five micrograms per deciliter is 50 ppb or one tablespoon of water in an olympic sized swimming pool so it's a quite a low level Mm -hmm. um but the u.s has a blood lead reference value for child clinical case management of five micrograms per deciliter but just back in november of 2021 it was actually lowered to 3.5 micrograms per deciliter Mm. so it just keeps going lower and that kind of goes back to what i was saying that it's a non-threshold contaminant so um the authors of the study we're about to talk about um used the higher value of five micrograms per deciliter since the population estimates were from 2015 where the reference value was five micrograms per deciliter so you can think about it like when we're talking about these levels of lead um 
it's like a tablespoon of lead in an Olympic-sized swimming pool mm-hmm. um, in terms of blood lead levels. Where does wow. lead come from? Aside from, obviously, like, the contamination of burning leaded gasoline. Ores. It's, it's in yeah. ores. Okay. It's in a bunch yeah. of different types of rocks yeah. in the earth. And then those can be broken down and reformulated into things like tetraethyl lead, which mm-hmm. was used in gasoline, or whatever it is they put in the paints for whatever reason they put in, in paint. I don't know why lead was used in paint, but... Yeah. It might have been lead oxide to make it more white, but, um, yeah. And then I guess in pipes, because it made good pipes? Yeah, because I think it was... Resistant to rust, right? Rust-resistant, yeah. yeah. And better than iron in that sense, I guess. Yeah. So, this study um, produced overall and generation-specific estimates for early-life lead exposure for the U.S. population in 2015. So the researchers used data from the U.S. Census, Lead and Gas Consumption Statistics, and Continuous National Survey of Lead Exposure that was conducted by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control Mm -hmm. from 1976 to 2016. And this allowed them to estimate the number of people living in the United States in 2015 that were exposed to various lead levels as younger children prior to, during, and after the era of leaded gasoline. Mm -hmm. So it's a really interesting study because they were able to take the population in 2015 and break them down into different cohorts and generational groups based on or, and look at their lead levels mm-hmm. blood lead levels wow and so their findings are quite remarkable so wait they have blood lead levels for all of these people that was taken that were taken in 2015 yeah i think they had access to the Previous epidemiological data yeah That's like the data set of um blood lead levels from the cohorts in 1976 or then they can make estimates on a broader group as a consequence because that's what epidemiology does yeah yeah (laughs) epidemiology is a cool field it's the coolest it is and so i'm going to share my screen here and these figures will be up on our social media so you can follow along and so this was the first figure in their paper Mm -hmm. and it is the percentage of children aged one to five with blood lead levels less than five micrograms per deciliter and a graph of leaded gasoline consumption from 1940 to 2016. Okay. To confirm, is that 1% at the top or a hundred? A hundred. That's a (laughs) hundred. Yeah. I I love when people do these graphs. They mean fraction. Yeah. They mean fraction. 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 They say percentage. And I was like, oh my good Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Is this the best we can do? Oh shit. But you can see that Mm -hmm. as leaded gasoline consumption decreased from 1980 onwards, Mm -hmm. the percentage of people with what we could call acceptable blood lead levels skyrocketed. Yeah. And it's it's like a complete inverse correlation. Yeah. Now, they also, um, because accurate and nationally representative blood lead level estimates didn't exist prior to 1976. They predicted them based on the gasoline consumption. Mm-hmm. And so the dotted line that you'll see here from 1940 to 1976 is a prediction based on what the gasoline consumption was, mm-hmm. if you kind of think that they are both correlated, yeah. which the authors um, supposed that they were. And I think there is good evidence for because leaded gasoline was the primary source of uh lead exposure during that time period mm. yeah 
everyone was mm. buying cars. Like that was one of the booms, right? Yeah. So exactly. everyone's using it. Everyone's going on trips. Everyone's traveling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it something that you can like get exposed to then through the air from the burning of the gas leading too? Even wow. Yeah. 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 The the yeah. soot particles you can breathe them in and then they can get absorbed yes. in your lungs. Damn. Yeah. Boom. So then the researchers uh, produced projection estimates into the year 2100 based <laughs> okay. on the 2016 lead exposure and 2019 population projections from the UN. And this is a really interesting set of graphs because, as you'll see, you can see the projection from 2020 all the way into 2100. Mm-hmm. And even by 2030, over 43% of the U.S. population will have had blood lead levels as kids higher than 5 micrograms per deciliter. So even by the year 2030, there are still going to be people that had unacceptable exposure to lead as kids. Wow. And this doesn't really peter out until 2060. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it goes on for a very long time. and As long as we continue to not consume lead. Exactly. Well, yeah, as long as we don't make things worse. This is just kind of, mm-hmm. now that leaded gasoline has been phased out and we're working at removing lead from uh, lots of places in the U.S., yeah. this is the projection of what um, the blood lead levels will be from those cohort- cohorts as children. Wow. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And ultimately, yeah. these folks who like continue to have these blood lead levels into 2030, are, it's because... Of the exposure in like the seventies or whatever, like they're just alive. That's that's because yes. total population levels here. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's something the authors point out too is that like, kind of the primary factor of the reduction is just the older cohorts dying off essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, um, yeah, and so, as I said earlier, um, this is going to have serious implications because childhood exposure significantly impacts development cognitive function and future health yeah and so age-related diseases if, like you said so yeah yeah so even if tomorrow we got rid of all of the lead that existed on earth which mm-hmm. you know wouldn't be able to happen but if we did that the exposures that people had when they were between one and two years old or birth and two years old it would still uh carry on into their adult lives yeah and so uh, two studies, which I want to say should be taken with a grain of salt, but I thought were just an interesting kind of way of considering this uh, exposure, um, estimate that the economic losses due to lead exposure from healthcare costs and reduced lifetime earnings are between 165 to $319 billion. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a weird metric to put a dollar figure on this exposure, but because of the you know, health implications, but also um, reduced potential for earning for people who may have been exposed to high levels of lead as children. Uh, it's quite a lot of economic losses, mm-hmm. which I thought was an interesting way of putting it. The authors also looked at racial disparities in blood lead levels, separating the cohorts into white and non-white white based on the CDC data. This will be 50-50 for sure, right? <laughs> going to make that prediction? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know I, I, yeah. Um, <laughs> I I kind of wish they did a little bit more stratification. <laughs> um, so this figure, here I'll show you here, 
we have uh, the non-white cohort on the left and the white cohort on the right, mm. and you can see that there it's just significantly higher. Oh man, uh, I was wrong. <laughs> sorry, Om. I'm Damn. sorry. It's not as uh, not as happy as we would hope. Anyone should have known. It should have been me. <laughs> yeah, and there are previous studies that have shown that African Americans have disproportionately higher blood lead levels mm -hmm. than the U.S. national level, and this is historically the case. Mm -hmm. um, so this research shows that non-white adults below the age of 45 still have uh, higher blood lead levels than their white counterparts. So there is a racial disparity and generational disparity in this, which is uh, not great. <laughs> I noticed something concerning about this graph. Is it true that in the 40 to 44 age range, 100% of people had blood lead levels higher than 5? Because that's what it looks like. Yeah, that is what it looks like. For yeah. both cohorts. But I, th yeah. I agree in there's the cases. racial disparity. I'm just um, concerned. Um, so I would think that it's maybe not 100%, but it is the overwhelming majority and the the bar, the sliver that is below five micrograms yeah. per deciliter is so small because this is a percentage. Yeah. You know, it's probably like 0.001%. If you look wow. at, so age 40 to 45, that's, you know, right around in this cohort here. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, in the previous graph. In the height and of you the can see that, gasoline era, I guess. Exactly. These these people were exposed um, during the height of leaded gasoline, and so, yeah, almost none of them, none of them have mm -hmm. blood lead levels below five. Yeah, wow. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and then not to be too much of a downer, um, something that I thought was interesting that this research also mentioned uh, was that while children today have much lower blood lead levels than their parents or grandparents, these blood lead levels are still multiple times higher than pre-industrial ancestral levels. Mm. Now, they base this off of one study that did kind of a back calculation of pre-ancestral lead in bone and kind of related that to blood. Mm -hmm. um, but I thought that was interesting that even we today, with the lowest blood lead levels in our generations that are alive, um, it's still higher than pre-industrial times. Wow. So, yeah, I thought this was a really, really interesting study. Mm -hmm. um, and it was too interesting not to share right away since it was published mm -hmm. just last week. Um, and I think this should be kind of a, a story of hope that governments and industries are working to monitor, remediate, and reduce lead exposure. You know, we, we now know that it is bad and should be canceled off the periodic table. Mm -hmm. um, and we're part of a generation with significantly lower blood lead levels, which means the potential for improved outcomes of, for health and for, I think, society uh, as we yeah. grow and move yeah. on. I want to echo that and just say, like, and it also should be a signal that we need to do more, right? Exactly. Like, mm -hmm. there is still a lot more to do. Um, we have these disparities in different communities. Michigan is probably one of the, like we said, the best mm -hmm. examples of that here in the U.S., um, and in, there's other communities as well that I'm sure I'm not remembering, but are afflicted by these issues all the time. So this research is just, you know, while it looks hopeful, 
let's not forget, right? Mm-hmm. Let's yeah. not forget that these are these things are impacting people on the on a daily basis. So, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's one of those papers that you really does hope do hope that is like going to be a policy change paper, right? Like sometimes mm-hmm. science is esoteric and self-involved and doesn't really lead to anything, but uh, work like this has hopefully what is like a clear point a clear goal which is that like we really do need to take like even though we're doing better we need need to take this really seriously and especially for the marginalized communities that it affects Mm -hmm. totally and i think it's been it's been getting a little bit of media coverage but i think with their title it's quite a uh shocking title to read that you know, half of U.S. population exposed to adverse lead levels in early childhood. Like, it, they don't mince words, and I think yeah. that's good. And I think, I hope that this gets the traction it deserves. And, yeah, I hope there's policy changes because of it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So I'll just, I'll, I'll give you the citation again if you'd like to go read the paper yourself. It's Half of U.S. Population Exposed to Adverse Lead Levels in Early Childhood by Michael McFarland, Matt Hauer, and Aaron Rubin. And it was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences on March 15th, 2022. So thank you for joining me for This Week in Science. I am Alistair. I'm Om. And I'm Sienna. And you can go and follow us at NotYetADR on social media, or email us your comments and questions to phd32b at gmail.com. Until next time. Yes. Bye. See you. Bye.